It's Christmas time, books and Bailey's time. Listen to the wee Scottish book club with your host Scott and Natalie and maybe Santa too. Come find out what Scottish books they bring you. <laughs> oh, 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 Merry Book Club. <laughs> it is Christmas Eve here at the Wee Scottish Book Club, if you hadn't noticed, with my beautiful choir singing there. Scott, Merry Christmas. Are you ready? You all set? It's Christmas. <laughs> oh, buzzing. Um, <laughs> well, if I'm not set now, I'm never going to be, am I? No, if you want me to record you like a Christmas CD for when you're eating your Christmas dinner, um, just let me know. I've already taken all the outtakes of you singing for the last (laughs) however many episodes and I've put them on a wee cassette. That's what we're (laughs) going to play at the Christmas dinner table. Awesome. It's like the Angel Gabriel's come back down. It's brilliant. (laughs) What about yourself? Are you ready? Oh. um, I don't actually know. I mean, my wife's downstairs right now wrapping the presents. And it's Christmas Eve. She's downstairs wrapping the presents. I'm sitting up here. I've got my wee mulled wine. No giving a fuck. But somebody's yeah. got to do it, you know? Well, yeah. We we have good wives. Yeah. I think that's the best way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah. I just have to wrap her presents. Need to, need to actually get them organised first. Like, uh, wait, it's Christmas Eve, mate. Right, stop, the, stop the recording. We need to go. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that just goes to the petrol station at midnight and goes, what the fuck can I buy? <laughs> Tomato soup. Well, what I did this year, actually, guys, big tip, use Amazon's Cyber Monday deals. Done. I did them all in within half an hour. Just panic buying, just like, yep, 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 yep. Done. That's Christmas shopping. It is. Done right. And, you know, I actually took me longer to buy the dog's presents. Than it did <laughs> <laughs> um, what about tonight are you going to be staying up late like usual parents do and building things or well last year I said never again never again will I be up building this rubbish at this time of night I want to be relaxing reading a book having a hot chocolate enjoying myself so yeah I'll probably be up building stuff um, no <laughs> Um, no, I, I like Christmas Eve probably more than I do Christmas. It's that feeling, isn't it? I, yeah. I, the buzzing. And now that we've got Eleanor and she is old enough to know that something exciting is happening, um, we have, I'm going to come to it later in our wee traditions, but we go out around the street with some jingle bells and we call Santa down oh, with, his, nice. with the jingle bells. We did it last year when she was barely walking. This year um, she will be stomping around that square ringing those bells so i'm really excited for that kind of thing um and then yeah Just she's been... see, see, see the neighbors being like get her out of done <laughs> guys i've tried to watch a movie in here <laughs> um but no yeah it's nice it's just that feeling isn't it and then christmas morning will be something special i'm always i'm excited for that this year yeah um, what time do you think you've got up it hopefully it'll be regular time which is about seven o'clock right that'll be okay what about you? You lying in, you lying yeah. until ten. We usually would lie in, but this year we've actually, for the very first time, because we've just moved into the house, um, I've got my dad coming up and my grandpapa coming up, and my wee cousin coming up just to spend Christmas together as a family for the very first time. Probably I've spent Christmas with my dad since I was a teenager, 
Um, so it's going to be quite nice, especially everything that happened last year with my dad and that, and been able to actually spend time with him and, you know, make the most of it. Because um, you, you know, you know, especially that I'm not really a Christmassy gal. Neither. No. So, um, this year we're going to try a wee bit harder. So we are. I can already see you've tried harder. Those decorations. Lovely. Beautiful. Like them. Mm-hmm. That was all me, not my wife. All of course me. it was all you. I know. <laughs> but me and Amy's obviously making Christmas dinner as well. Um, and we've done the thing where we've only got one oven, but we've bought three different meats. And we're planning to make two different pots of soup. And, you know, like all these starters and mm. you know, then you've got your roast potatoes and you've got your mash and then you've got your cauliflower cheese and that. But what do you do with it? Now, I am an experienced Christmas dinner maker. And my advice is Marks and Spencer. Ooh. All of them cook at the same temperature. They all fit on lovely, especially if it's just a wee small dinner. Like I've only cooked really for six adults at the most. So it's fairly small where Christmas dinners go. Um, however, I'm going to get into another Christmas dinner that I have sat at the table for a little bit later. And you will not believe your ears when I tell you what goes on here. I just don't know how you put it all in the oven. It doesn't make... Honestly, I I was actually up. Amy happened to say that other night there, ah, you know, we just need to not buy anymore because I don't know how we're going to fit it all in the oven. And then she turned around, right? She went to sleep. So that was me. You can imagine me. I was like, (laughs) ring! Oh, my God. Or not. What? How how are we going to do this? How? Um, so I think I'm maybe going to, I don't know. You can just hide. Yeah, maybe just leave it to Amy. Yeah, Amy will take care of that. I could be the hostess. I could be the one that gives the drinks. Top up the drinks, make sure everyone's okay, put the music on, exactly. make sure everyone's spirits are high. Great. And the slave can be in the kitchen. Perfect. Love that idea. So before we get into our big Christmas special, what have you been reading this festive season? Well, I have been reading, at the moment, the least festive reads <laughs> I could possibly pick out. Um, I'm finishing off Mara Menzies' um, Blood and Gold. I am loving it so far. It's so um, full of images that just mm-hmm. all over your head. Um, it's really, really nice. Um, but I've also picked up a very different type of book for me. Um, and this is part of my uh, book club that I do at the gym, uh, you know, with all the muscular people. Yeah, when everybody's supposed to be working out and instead of, instead of pretending they're on their phone or they're busy, they just, oh, I've got a book club, I can't work out the night. Mm-hmm. We Love stand that. on the treadmills, we do a wee jog beside each other um, and we talk about books. Uh, this do you one... actually, do you actually <clears throat> go on the treadmill, do you? No, we sit in the bar. <laughs> um so yeah it's really nice actually and i i've for the last couple picked the the choices and then they've chosen but i thought i'm gonna be a nice host so i've decided that everyone will get a turn to bring a few choices along reduces the workload for me but makes everyone feel good and special so this week um one of my new friends from the gym jess brought together a pile and we chose alone in berlin um, uh, I've got that. Is by Hans Falada. When I heard the blurb, I was like, yes. And then I saw the type size and I thought, oh no. 
Um, I've got a month to read this and other things. <clears throat> but I'll tell you, two days in and I'm past page 100 already. Wow. This is special. Is, is uh, it an older book? Yes. Uh, 1947. That is old. So just after the war. Yeah. Well. So this, that's this I, is probably one that I'll love. It's all about like sort of espionage and hiding from um, the Nazis and it's a guy who goes against them but it's just I'm so I'm in the setup just now but even the setup has just got me going oh this is going to be good so I am really excited to see where the next 400 odd pages take me but um, it is something that I didn't see myself getting into but I am absolutely loving I'm switching um, hope I think I will eventually switch between this and the audiobook um, just to keep myself sane but um, a very very good start for this one I'm really excited to read that is that a pretty um, bookmark in that book as well Scott <laughs> it might be a bookmark that features a certain face oh um, that's a beautiful yes. face whose is that well that looks like it is hostess of the Scottish book club Natalie oh she sounds great she does. I believe she has these bookmarks available for sale if you'd like <laughs> to get your orders in. <clears throat> what about yourself? What are you currently reading? So I've not really read any Christmas books before, so I've been trying to read Christmas books, obviously for this podcast, to do my research so that I had something to talk about instead of going, yep, not read that, yep, not read that, yep, not read that. So I've been doing that, and we'll talk about them a bit later. Um, but after episode seven, where Diane spoke about Sunset Song and sold it to everybody so well, um, Bethany, another person that's been on the podcast and our Books and Bairns episode, is an English teacher. So she's been doing read-alongs for us. And she's decided to do Sunset Song read-along, which actually rhymes. Did you know that? Sunset Song read-along. Beautiful. I'm sure Bethany will be delighted you've worked that out. <laughs> Um, so I've just not long started it. Again, it's not really a festive read, is it? It's quite depressing. Um, I've only read the prelude so far. Is that what you call it, a prelude? Prelude for this one, yeah. Um, and I know loads of people didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it, but it was a bit dry and it was a bit full on because it was a lot of, and then they did this and then they did that and then they went to the other house and then they did that and then they did that. But I've heard as it goes into it, it actually changes pace gets a bit better so I'm really looking forward to reading it I think it's one of them ones you can tick it off your list and say that you've read um just like on a bucket list isn't it yeah we all have this book on our bucket list um and Diane sold that book so well that I went and got myself a copy and then I heard Bethany was making the lovely read-along so I woohoo enthusiastic Scotty here he is he's on board I read the prelude, and unlike you, I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> um, it took me a whole lot of time to get through those 24 pages. Mm -hmm. um, and I think because I'm already reading Alone in Berlin, which is quite yeah. heavy, um, it wasn't hitting me, and it was taking so long for things to go in. I was rereading pages, and this is me sitting on my own in silence, so I could only imagine how it will be later on. Uh, so I decided not now this yeah. book is not for me now I'm going to wait and see what everyone says 
I'm staying in the chat. I'm going to listen to what everyone's talking about and see what they think. And I might revisit this book if it if people are saying, yeah, prelude was nothing. Get excited for the rest. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because you're reading two classics there. Obviously, Sunset Songs a lot older than Alone in Berlin and is written kind of East Coast de Dorica. There's a wee bit of yeah. that in there. Um, so it's different for Alone in Berlin, but you should only really read one classic book at a time, I think. See these people that can churn them out, nay bother. I'm like, oh no, give me peace. And I think right now, what we've read, we say this all the time, we read a lot of hard-hitting books because obviously we want to learn and we want to um, read things that are going to like really affect us. But we're just exhausted, aren't we? We just need a nice wee read. Yes. That's the problem. And this one, you say this is older. It is. Um, it's nine, 1932. <laughs> 1932. 1932. Know, there's another book for 1932. Indeed. Uh, this one's set on the opposite coast, though, isn't it? Exactly. And you wouldn't even piece them actually to, to them together. Because one's mm-hmm. right in the countryside in a wee tiny village and talks about, as Diane said, the land and, like, you know, agriculture. And one's in a deep dense dark city that's full of crime and vulgarity yeah. hustle and bustle it's, that's quite a comparison actually i quite like that never thought of that today um but i i'm excited to see where it goes i do think you should try it again next year when you're feeling ready for another depressing classic i think that's exactly what i'm going to do nothing says Christmas like a good Scottish book recommendation. So for those of us that have not yet bought our gifts for our partners, our friends, our family, what book are you heartily recommending that we send down the chimney with a big man tonight? Right, well, I mean, I don't know if it's just me, right? But when I was Googling Scottish Christmassy books, there's hee-haw bugger all really that comes up, is there? Absolutely nothing. Um, except for maybe like a cosy romance book written by somebody else about coming to Scotland and like it's just not for me. Um, I want to I want a book that's written about the real Scotland, the real people in it. So I'm kind of still in the world of crime. I've not come out yet. That's been this is the third month, Scott, and I'm still in crime. Kind of. So this is de- described as a detective story without a detective, okay? And I would also argue that there actually is no real crime. And it is The Other Mrs. Walker by Mary Paulson Ellis. And I actually have Mary Paulson Ellis's other book, The Inheritance of Solomon Farling, I think it's called. And it was a bookshop owner. I went in and they basically were like, this is Scottish, get that, it's good, it's good, it's good. So I just bought them. Um, and it sat on my shelf, and the cover never really spoke to me, right? So I was like, I'll get to it eventually. Of course I will. But after reading this, I think the author now has a new fan, and I cannot wait for New Year. It's, I'm going to get right in about them, because they're quite chunky. Um, the Solomon Farthing one's bigger than this, but they're easy reads, if that makes sense. Um, so they're really nice, kind of cosy reads. Now, you may be thinking, what is a detective story? got to do with Christmas. What has the detective story got to do with Christmas? So, I'll read the blurb. 
Somehow she'd always known that she would end like this, in a small square room, in a small square flat, on a small square box perhaps, cardboard with a sticker on the outside and a name. An old lady dies alone and unheeded in a cold Edinburgh flat on a snowy Christmas night. A faded emerald dress hangs in her wardrobe. A spilt glass of whiskey pools on the floor. A few days later, a middle-aged woman arrives back in the city she thought she'd left behind, her future uncertain, her past in tatters. She soon finds herself a job at the Office for Lost People, tracking down the families of those who have died, neglected and alone. But what Margaret Penny cannot yet know is just how entangled her own life will become in the death of one lonely stranger. So, obviously the connection to Christmas is the night in which the old lady died, and the setting in Edinburgh when it talk, it goes between London and Edinburgh and it's you know from Christmas into January I think a lot of it, especially the present day part of it um, and it's snowy it's cold everybody's got a big jacket on even in the front cover it's a big red jacket with you know the fur fur lining um, but also the book goes back in time so it actually goes back to the 1930s not quite 1932 but it goes back, it starts at 1929. So present day is 2011, goes back to 1929 and then works its way forward through all the decades to the meet. Interesting. In 2011. It is so, so cool the way it's written like that. Um, so when we go back to 1929, we first meet a family and it's on Christmas day and the dad walks in and hands his daughter a clementine and says merry christmas so that's how it's connected to christmas so christmas is quite big for this family um so it's kind of alluded to all the way through um but it's not actually about christmas but it's a christmasy book i would say so the detective part of the story is finding out just who the old lady that died was because she leaves little, very little trace. She only has lived in this flat for a short period of time. There's no identity papers. There's no bank accounts. There's no nothing. She only has a dress, a couple of orange peels. Um, I think a receipt with somebody's phone number on it. And that is it. And Margaret Penny works for the Office of Lost People, which is something I'd never heard of. And I'm not sure if it's a real thing. Have you ever heard of it? I've not heard of that either, No. no. It's basically this company that when somebody dies and they have nobody, so if you die and you're a lonely person, they try and find your family. So they try and find next of kin and all that. And it's all for money. They're trying to find somebody that's going to pay for your funeral or come to your funeral. And if not, you know, you've got these people that for churches and stuff that go and moan, be a graveside if you don't have any. So that's that's kind of what, what she works as. So she's the reason she's trying to find this old lady is because she's trying to find them for this of, uh, office of lonely. Um, but to me, the book actually goes a lot, lot deeper than that. Because um, I read it more as like a historical fiction, kind of like Edge of the Grave. Do you know when I was reading Edge of the Grave and I told you that it was the history that I was immersed in? And this is obviously the same time as it goes back to right to the present. So it's something I really, really found quite interesting. Um, and it does read like a historical fiction book and maybe a family saga book because when we go back and we go forward we're following this one family all through the generations and it's really quite interesting 
Um, and it goes back 1930s London. 1930s, as we know, for Edge of the Grave was the time of the Great Depression when people couldn't get work um, and they were trying as hard as they can to just make a living. So this father that gave her the Clementine then has to go off to America to find work and he is never heard of again. As well as that, their mother is then institutionalised because her twin babies have died. So she's, she's an an institution because back then they didn't they didn't understand grief and they, they just thought you were crazy they would, you just had to go on with it um, and she obviously couldn't so that left three young girls trying to find their way in a world that kind of wanted to take advantage of them um, and the people that were then they were then left in the care kind of wanted to take advantage of them um, and they, these three people I'm not giving any spoilers but I mean it's a big book there's a lot that I haven't told you but I just want you to understand it. These three girls grow up and their lives are kind of intermingled. But at the same time, they play with each other like a game. They play with the people that are around them, but maybe don't realise when they are actually being taken advantage of. Because back then, it wasn't a world for women. It wasn't a world for girls. Um, and they just wanted to get a certain outcome. They wanted to succeed. And they thought they were playing the game when maybe they weren't. Um, so they, these three girls then go and there's no trace of them behind. That is until Margaret Benny comes along and tries to unravel it. It sounds interesting. This is, again, that kind of um, detective story, but from a slightly different angle, mm -hmm. isn't it? We're getting... Um, the person from the the lost people um and they are having a look into the yeah. whole um storyline the whole the whole family line and what's going on why is this happened where's this gone that's quite an interesting take to to take that sort of like you say a, a book about crime yeah really if you're stripping it all away it's a historical crime that we're looking at and trying yeah. to get to the bottom of but because of that we're getting the family saga we're getting the historical stuff we're getting and it sounds really interesting the way that it's all built up that's quite good yeah it's um, quite an emotional read a reflective read kind of like really insightful and we, we are talking about there about crime and i'd said there wasn't really a crime i could argue but like you say when you strip it all away there is i mean these are very very flawed characters every single one of them is a flawed character even margaret penny herself you know she's left Edinburgh and come back to London to stay with her mother because of something that she's had to leave behind with no trace as well, the same as these three people that she's looking back at. Um, and why did they have to have no trace? You know, there's loads of different things that there's, there's a lot of bad people. So there's a lot of crimes. So there's not just one fundamental crime. I mean, there's a mystery. The mystery is who is this old lady and why is she in Edinburgh and why did she die? That's the mystery. But it's just so interesting. And actually, if you remember when I first started my crime journey, I was like, they're all the same and I don't like that and I don't like that. This is another one for me to add to my list that is different, you know? Um, yes. And it's, it's another kind of book that I'll be looking for. And it's cosy crime, I would think, but also very serious. Do you know what I mean? So it, it's, it's somewhere in the middle. It, it doesn't really fit any genre for me it just I, it just as a great story i was going to say it sounds like you're lost 
Like yeah. you don't know where to put this book. If you're walking around the bookshop, you don't know which shelf to hit this on because there's so much going on. There's so many different strings and ties all coming in. That, that, I'm, that is what makes this book sound really interesting. Yeah, no, that is exactly it. Because even when I was trying to, because I, I read it and I was like, right, this is my Scottish book of the week, one week. And then it was Christmas and I thought, yep. But I was struggling to work out what I was actually going to say for it. I've really, really struggled. Um, so I hope I've, I hope maybe I've done it justice and people do go out and read it because it is definitely a really, really good read and it's very compelling. Once you're in, you're in. You feel that? It's awful cold in here, Scott. Oh, it's like blowing a blizzard out there. Oh, don't get there. Santa's definitely on his way. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, did you hear that? Oh. Right, before Santa comes with reindeers, we really need to get a move on. And it's time for Name That Book. Now, since it's a wee bit chilly and wintry in here, I asked you to name a book with a snowy setting. Because what else would you want on Christmas Day? Well, I did think the same. And then I thought, there's been two books we've read very recently by a horror author that would have been good choices for this, but I've skipped them. <gasps> so I've left Misery at the side and I've left The Shining at the side, but I wanted to mention them anyway. They would, because, be, they would have been <clears throat> my choice if it was my turn. Because I think, like the book I've chosen, the snow becomes a character in itself in both of those books. Yep. However... The book I have chosen to talk about is called Three Hours and it's by Rosamond Lupton. Oh. I don't know if I've murdered that second name or not. Um, but before I start, let me read you the blurb of this story that I read exactly this time last year. Three hours is 180 minutes or 10,800 seconds. It is a morning's lesson, a dress rehearsal of Macbeth, a snowy trek through the woods. It is an eternity waiting for news or a countdown to something terrible. It is 180 minutes to discover who you will die for and what men will kill for. In rural Somerset, in the middle of a blizzard, the unthinkable happens. A school is under siege. Told from the point of view of the people at the heart of it, from the wounded headmaster in the library, unable to help his trapped pupils and staff, to teenage Hannah in love for the first time, to the parents gathering this desperate for news, to the 16-year-old Syrian refugee trying to rescue his little brother, to the police psychologist who must identify the gunman, to the students taking refuge in the school theatre, all experience the most intense hours of their lives, where evil and terror are met by courage, love, and redemption. Before you get any further, one of my favourite books is about a school shooting, and I am not allowed to read that book anymore because of the author. I think this might be my replacement. I cannot sell this book enough. Um, it was probably one of the first books that I bought as soon as it came out 
um, from one of the local indies that I like to buy from online, Bert's Books. Um, and I thought, oh, a nice Christmassy sort of snowy read. Oh, how wrong I was. Um, because I'm like you, I don't read the blurbs. Mm-hmm. I just saw the front cover of this and it was covered in snow. And I saw like the woods and I thought, oh, what's going to happen in this three hours? What's, oh my goodness, was I wrong? Um, and it is a book that I have never read something like before or since. It's called Three Hours. The whole book takes place within three hours. There's no beforehand and there's no, oh my goodness, looks what happened afterwards. It is 180 minutes. So if you went to see this in the cinema, and you watch the film for three hours, it would be perfect. Um, And the book is similar. I don't know what your average time on a book is, but for me, it's around about the four hour, five hour mark, depending on what it is, often longer. Um, But when I read this book, I felt like I was one of those characters that were living through every single dragged out minute of the experience that they're going through. Um, whether it be one of the members of staff at the school, an agonizing parent, one of the pupils who does or does not know what's going on. We're talking one of these big English campus schools. So we've got everything from little nursery kids all the way through to these teenagers rehearsing a play in the theater. Um, So we get all points of view and we get this huge cast of characters, um, adults, young folk, the police officers, the gunmen, um, and things and this is my nightmare in a book this is one of those things that as a teacher you have thought about and you thought what do I do if that happened what would I do um, and you like to think you'd be heroic you like to think you'd be able to save everyone you like to think you've got this plan but in the heat of the moment with all of these kids that will also be in heat of the moment Who knows what's going to go on? Everything's going to have to be a think on your feet moment. And that's what these characters are going through. We've got a school in the middle of the woods being attacked by gunmen. And in a a country where that's not supposed supposed to happen, you know? No, this is a strange occurrence for England. We're in Somerset. Um, So the police don't know how to immediately react to it as well. They're all taking different approaches and trying to get a sort of unified um, tactic on the go, but that's taking time. You're reading it as a frustrated reader because you know what's going on in every single room in the building, but the police officers don't, the headmaster doesn't, the staff that are in the little hut doing art in the middle of the woods with the little kids, they don't know what's going on, but the gunmen do. The gunmen are all over the place. Um, And it is terrifying and agonizing, but at the same time, there are, characters that you just fall in love with um the headmaster if you're talking about fictional idols um what a man Mm -hmm. um does his best for the staff does his best for the kids um and it's a horrible situation for him to be in but one that i think he deals with rather well um at points but the such a good book um not a cozy let's have a hot chocolate on christmas eve book um but definitely a book where the snow i mentioned that the snow becomes a character in in this we're talking a blizzard 
Um, so the kids are already a bit, if you've, you, you might remember your own schooling days, but I'm witnessing it right now. We're, we're having these storms every fortnight in Scotland just now. And the kids are way up here. Yeah. Um, so when the snow starts in a school classroom, they're already buzzing. Um, and there's talk of the school closing because well, that's that. You're all you always were waiting on that happening. Yeah, we've got the on incoming blizzard, so the kids are all already going. Oh, this this might be the last day. Woo-hoo. So they're already high, and their their emotions are all over the place, especially the younger ones. And then we get this horrific um, incident that goes on, and the snow just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and causes more and more of a problem. So the gunmen are a problem, but so is this incoming blizzard. It means the police don't have the resources that they could have. It means that parents can't get in and out. It means the kids can't just run away. Um, There's nothing um, that this snow doesn't cause a problem for. And I think that's why when you'd mentioned a book where the snow um, features, this is one of the first ones that I went, wow, yeah, three hours for me. I'm kind of glad you didn't go Christmassy. I'm glad that you you went with just the snow being the theme because I think a book in winter, everybody always thinks a Christmas book, but there is so much other ones out there, you know. I've never really been a Christmas reader, but I would read that. I would read that at Christmas time, which I know is random, but you're immersing yourself in a story. You're chilling out. Your, it's a Christmas is a time to relax, isn't it? And that that book, although it's tense, it takes you away from the real world and immerses you in a different world. And that's the thing; it is it totally blinkers you. You you can't think of anything else when you put this book down to make the tea or to go around to your family's house over Christmas. You are only going to be thinking about these children. Are they going to be safe? Is the gunman going to prevail? Will the police do the right thing? Um, and it's huge, but. One of the big key things in the book as well, the way that we, Christmas time, we all celebrate relationships and getting, you've mentioned already, the family coming round. This is a book about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's about staff interacting with pupils, pupils and pupils. We've got the police, families. We've got parents who are agonizing, waiting in a cafeteria to just hear news, what's going on. And there is love everywhere. Um as a teacher, and I know that teachers that listen will be feeling exactly the same thing. When you get a class, you for a year, you adopt 30 kids. Um, Whether you like them or not, you adopt them all. (laughs) Um, And it just becomes this thing. And and I know that in that situation, these teachers are feeling exactly that. They've got Mm -hmm. a family in front of them and they want to do the best for them. And relationships are so, so key in this book. And I think uh, Rosamond Lupton does so well at writing them. It's maybe quite close to home as well for a lot of Scottish people. You know, obviously we've had a serious, serious, I mean, we were children, I was two or three or something when it happened, yeah. but we've had them blame. Um, do you think it's done in a respectful way though? Or do you think you can really do it? In a, like, I think when you're when you're creating something fictional like this, there's always going to be the element of someone who's who knows more or who's quite knowledgeable on the subjects or has experienced something like we said quite close in Scotland especially because we are one big community in Scotland so when that happened to the the town of Dunblane everyone felt that and even as as kids we still know that story we know that that's why we've got all these security things in place in schools now 
Um, so we all still feel the effects of something like that. And I think actually, I didn't come away from this book criticizing anything that the author had included. There was nothing where I thought it was glorifying the, the criminals. There was no aspect where we actually gave the criminals an out or a reason. It was, there is something horrendous and heinous happening. Let's see how our characters can deal with it. And obviously a, a difficult thing to write about for anyone, a difficult thing to read as well. Um, but on the question of, is it done respectfully? as much as you possibly can for a book like this. Got to keep it realistic, don't you? Oh, 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 oh. Merry Christmas to all the listeners of the Wee Scottish Book Club. <laughs> yes, indeed, Natalie. It is me, Santa Claus. <laughs> Sana, I can't believe you're here. <laughs> now, I have brought along my big book of names. I have brought along my naughty and nice lists. If we read it, Santa, do we can we put that down as a book in our Goodreads? <laughs> I've always thought you were the funny one, Natalie. <laughs> You should do better jokes, Scott. <laughs> Thanks, Santa. <laughs> no, right. Let me get on. <clears throat> Let's have a look now. McGrath, McLaugh, McGrath, McMath. Let me have a look now. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Natalie McMath. Would you believe it? Crack my Pringles. You're on the nice list. Let oh. me just have a rummage in my sack. Can I have mm. a rummage in your sack, Santa? <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> and I have got a beautiful present for you. Here you go, Natalie. Thanks, Santa. Do you have one <clears throat> for stock? Let me just check. <laughs> now. <laughs> Sorry, just enjoying a mince pie. <laughs> it's a caramel one for Aldi. Aren't they good? <laughs> right, here we are. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of shields this year. <laughs> oh, little Eleanor Shields, she's on the good list, of course. <laughs> oh, there's a new Shields coming soon. <laughs> Can't wait to see what he's been up to. Right. <laughs> Scott Shears, he's on the nice list. Would you believe it? I'll just have a lovely rummage in my big old back here. Here you go, Scott. <laughs> a present for you. Thanks, Santa. Oh, that's so nice, Scott. Would you believe that we're actually nice? I can't believe Santa thinks we're nice. I think he's been told a lie. I think... Somebody <laughs> gave him a wee backhander there, a wee bribe. I, I might have put a wee extra something in the mince pies. <laughs> right, will we open? Oh, we need to say goodbye to Santa first. We can't oh. just leave him standing awkwardly in the room oh, with us. Bye, Santa. Okay. Bye, Santa. We know you're a busy man. <laughs> yes, indeed. Bye-bye for now. Hope you enjoy your presents. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Right. Okay. But he'd never leave. 
He loves to hang about. Don't he? I had a full pack of mince pies when he came. They're gone. <sighs> Greedy bastard. Right, are we going to open these? Let's open our presents. It's Christmas I'm Eve, excited. after all. Is this our Christmas Eve present, then? We get to open it? I think so. Right. Okay. Three, two, one... <laughs> what have you got, Scott? Oh, would you believe it? It's my favourite of all the book series in the whole wide world. It oh. is one of the Diary of a Wimpy Kids. However, this one is called Diary of a Wimpy Wayne. Oh, that's cool. Santa knows you. Santa he knows that you love does. those books. Translated into Scots. Isn't that great? Now, I'm going to ask you, would you put that on your shelf at school? I think I actually would. Scots? I'm going to have to have a good read of it first, but... Do you know the thing is, you talk about that that's all Wayne's way to read, right? That book Scots is in the them Scots, and they'll want to pick it up. There you go. This is a great idea. This will be one of my Christmas break reads, and I'll make sure that... The blurb itself is funny. Being a Wayne can be pure boffin. <laughs> and nobody kens that better than Greg Hefley. Waff finds himself huckled into a big scale. This is Love good. It. Good shout. <clears throat> Santa has gave me something absolutely amazing. I'm absolutely buzzing. And it's Urwally and the Bruins, all creatures great and small. And I'm so excited. Well, you must have known that you like a wee annual. You must listen to the podcast. Santa and his elves in the workshop, they've got to listen to something while they're doing their work, haven't they? Exactly. This is going to be my read at Christmas Day, I think. I'm going to read a couple of wee thingies of this. I'm so excited because I bet you Amy and my mum and my dad have forgot again. And Santa remembers. Santa always remembers. Santa's always got your back. (laughs) Since we've just spoke to Santa, right? And we've just been giving gifts for Santa, right? I thought I'd ask you the question. What is your favourite memory of Christmas as a wee? Right. Um, I sat before the podcast speaking at my wife and going, what? I can't remember anything Christmas-wise. Um, and I don't, I don't want to bring out my tiny violin or anything, but wee backgrounds, wee Scotty, having a... I had nice Christmases. They were lovely. I had a good time. Um, but I couldn't pinpoint one big memory. But there is one that makes me laugh as an adult now, um, where <clears throat> my dad maybe wasn't the most of the most legal of men. Um, so he used to do that thing where he pirated CDs and sold them on to folk. That's ridiculous. I would never do right? that. He also then started doing it with PlayStation games and things as well. You'd be my pal, actually. Now, Santa Claus must have got wind of that because one year I got given all the pirate CDs and all the pirate games you could possibly think of. <laughs> um, and I was opening all my gifts in the morning and I was like, oh, yes, look at that game. So buzzing. Woo. Hadn't even clocked that my dad was pirating stuff. So I must have been... And it was only when I got to the end of my pile and my mum went, oh, there's one missing. And I thought, my dad then, oh, oh, 
Like, what? And my mum went, it's the, it's the Simpsons one. It's the Simpsons one. It must be under the stairs. I'm sitting right there thinking Santa Claus has just brought me all these beautiful gifts. And my mum then goes into the ironing basket. It's falling into the ironing basket. It's in the ironing basket. There you go, Scott. Uh, Santa must have dropped it in the cupboard. And I just, that whole farcical situation, I think, <laughs> is the moment that I was really cemented as a, a really naive, like probably about 11, 10, 11. I must have been primary seven, around about that age. That must have been the moment that the penny dropped for me. I think I was quite old as well. Not old, obviously, but I think I was quite later on in life, Santa, as well. And I had a big sister that was three years older than me. And I don't think... Do you remember? Actually, obviously, you're talking about that, but do you remember finding out? No, I don't remember the moment. I mean, the the school playground was rife with Mm rumours. But no, it wasn't wasn't the the thing. I wasn't, oh, that wee Jimmy told me in primary four. Um, There's no big moment. But that's definitely one of the moments that I now look back on as an adult and go, note to self, don't tell Eleanor there's a present missing and then go under the stairs for it. <laughs> well, my story is actually featuring a washing basket as well. Brilliant. Can you believe it. Um, so back when my, me, my mum and dad, and my sister all lived together. I was just a wee bear. My mum and dad told me that this year, we were going to catch Santa in the act, right? No, no, that can he act, Scott. Just the present given act. Oh, jeez. Oh. My mind wandered. <laughs> um, and what we did was we got our camcorder and they made me put it in the washing basket with all the clothes and it was, you know, strategically placed. And I'm thinking, why would that be in the middle of the floor? Surely Santa would know that. But Santa wouldn't know that because Santa would be too busy. He wouldn't notice. That's what they told me. So we got it all set up and got the mince pies and, you know, a trail. And the next morning we got up and my mum and dad were like, we've got, we've got Santa one day. And watched it in there. There was this guy, Santa, coming in and laying out our presents. Uh-huh. And then I think he fell, but got back up. And he was laying out and then he was drinking all the, I think it was beer or something. Didn't know Santa drunk beer, but apparently he does. And got it all set out. And it's not to know, I'm like, it's literally just watching a video of my dad fleeing about the living room, just being yeah. an absolute pure fanny, probably <laughs> drunk in space. Is it? But, yeah, I love that. But it's pure magical. I mean, my mum and dad, my mum likes Christmas. My dad's never really been that into it. He, my, my, my dad feels the pressure. He used to feel a lot of the pressure, you know, um, to try and give the best Christmas he could. And that kind of ruined it for, for him, I think. Um, and that's one memory, a lovely, lovely, actual, lovely memory of, about Christmas. It's actually brought back something that I used to do. I used to try and catch Santa as well. We didn't have a camcorder set up, but I used to leave him a little Santa, if you're real, please sign here note. Um, but the first time I tried it, I'd obviously, instead of writing, please sign here, I'd written, please sing here. So my mum or dad or whoever Santa was being that year just wrote, fa la 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 <laughs> So what? Is your, apart from your obviously beautiful CDs, especially the Simpsons game, what is the best present you remember ever receiving? It's a Kindle. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Because for years, I sort of hummed and hayed about going electronic for my reading. And I was never prepared to do it myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to commit 
what I thought was this greatest sin of going and buying an electronic book of all things. Um, so actually, <clears throat> my now wife um, bought me one. Uh, I think she did what you did, Black Friday or Cyber Monday sales, weeked it in the basket and away it came. So it was within budget because we quite tight on Christmas. So we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got this Kindle and that was me away. Uh, still loving the physical book, but I always had this Kindle. Uh, and then that present was up leveled a couple of years ago when my mother-in-law upgraded my Kindle and got oh, me one yes. of those with a backlight. Yeah, that's again true. for Christmas because now Alison can be sound asleep beside me and I can still be enjoying a book without disturbing anyone. And I think they're brilliant. And so I've always got a book on the go on my Kindle. It takes me ages to read it. Yeah. Because I've only got a wee 15 minutes here and there. But I think that's probably one of my best gifts um, that I've received. Just because something I've always wanted-ish, kind of. But now that I've got it, love it. It makes it easier to see the transport my book about. But do you know, find as a book lover, you still just, you still really need a book. There is something about holding the big book um, in your hands that, that you don't get from a Kindle. No, but you do get you do get through through books faster, I think, on a Kindle. Do you? I think. I, I think. Like, see if you think of how fast you can read a text, to how fast you can read a book. I honestly, if I read a book in Kindle, I can get through it like nobody's business. But I'm also very aware of the eight hours remaining, and I'm like, no, it's not six. I like that. I always yeah. like that, and you can see the percentage straight away. Oh, you're nine yeah. percent through. That'll no do. I'm going to fifteen tonight. Um, <laughs> exactly. So I like that. Yeah. <laughs> What about you? What's your most memorable gift? Right. I've got a few. Because, no, I didn't, we didn't have, like I said, a lot of like money. I always remember like being in awe of my friends or the gifts they got and being quite jealous, right? But I always remember their mum and dads didn't work and my mum and dad worked hard. So I don't know how they were getting gifts, probably off the back of a lorry or something. Um or damn it, your dad didn't just uh, skim in the CDs, old boy. A bit of something. <laughs> um, but every year I always said, please can I get an action man? Please can I just get an action man? And I was always told no. It's a boy's present. Not, you're not getting it. Not, you're not getting it. Which is really funny because my mum and dad totally would never say that ever now. But back then it was different. And my uncle Craig, when he lived in England, I'd only seen him now and again, and he brought me an action man up. And I will always, always remember that. And that's actually like when he passed away this year, that was one of the things that I spoke about the most. Do you remember that time? He got me the action man. He's my favourite uncle because he got me an action man. Do you know, it's just something special that I'll be able to tell people about him as well. But also, and I've told you about this guy before, I got a Rad the Robot. Oh, Rad. It was all just this because I never had a lot of friends either. Good job I had books. And Jeez. I had a dog as well. Good job, books and dogs. That was my pals. But I had this wee robot that followed my boot with a wee tray and he would go and get me a wee drink and then he'd come back. And But I mean, they seem, I think it cost me, that was about the most expensive present my mum and dad's ever bought me. And it sat in the cupboard most of the time. Do you know the way? It's like good in principle. And then you're like, what can I do with it? This is now the thing. I go around as a parent and Alison will be like, oh, we should get. And I do that. Aye, right. She's not going to play with that. <laughs> rad the robot sounds like one of the things that big daddy scott would say 
Not a chance. Aye, and there's no way. And I bet you Big Daddy Glenn said, um, no way, Julie and Julie was more like, than probably. He's getting it. <laughs> but also, the most random thing I ever, ever got, right? And my favourite, favourite present. I, one year, got a gang hut. A what? A gang hut. Basically a hut. It wasn't even like, do you know how you get these nice wee Wendy houses and stuff that Wayne's get? No. Natalie got a hut for her Christmas. A literal hut. And I used to have my books in it and my wee keyboard and my drum set and I used to write my songs in there, funnily enough. Oh, you're still the big <laughs> musician on campus now. Aye. So that's what to get Eleanor. See, when she's 10, get her a hut. And did this go outside? Aye, it was literally just sat in my garden. So it was your, it was like, hut. It was your man shed? Like, kind of Basically. Just like... I had my own house, basically, when I was eight-year-old. How, like that. How random is that? Waking up, your presents out the back, and your dad's still to build it. It's a hut. Aye, so Glenn's obviously thought, fucking rad the robot. Do you know where I could put this rad? Outside. So it's Christmas Day. Oh. It's Christmas Day. I'm going to ask You've been you two... for ages. <laughs> two questions in one. What is your go-to Christmas song? And your go-to Christmas film. Right. Christmas song, apart from my beautiful rendition at the start of the podcast. Yeah. Oh, oh. So this is Christmas. Is the first one that came into my head. What have we done? So Merry Christmas, war is over. John Lennon. Oh, very. Didn't even know I liked John Lennon. There you go. <laughs> first first time I gave my head. <laughs> Christmas film. I racked my brains for a Christmas film, Scott. I'm not that into Christmas films. I'm not at all. I find them too cheesy. I don't want a big bowl of cheese. So I probably watch like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Do you know long films that you don't get a chance to watch all year round? That's probably what I would do. And in steps one of my favourite Christmas films, the Star Wars series. Exactly. Me and Amy binged them last year. That's what we did at Christmas. That's what it is. Yeah, sitting down, not a care in the world. Quality street on your lap. Let's get into Han Solo. Exactly. Oh, perfect. Ooh. Wow. Um, um, that was a synchronized M. Oh, beautiful. Oh. A one that kept coming into my mind, right? And I don't know why, because I don't even think it is a Christmas film. Do you ever remember the film Dunstan Checks In? No. Oh, Scott, you need to watch it. It's about this ape that takes over a hotel. And he befriends a wee boy and they run about the hotel getting up to any good. You will love it. Dunstan is a jewel thief. <laughs> Watch it. Oh, I, I've seen this. And now that I can see the poster. Yeah. Yes. I can, I've, I've seen bits of it. I've never watched it. I wouldn't remember it. But that wee boy's giving me flashbacks. Bloody love Dunstan checks in the SVD Maybe where I get some of mine. But that's the kind of thing I would watch. I would watch like what you're saying. Star Wars, The Hobbit, Dunstan checks in, Space Jam. Jumanji, Calamity Jane, I'd even go for a wee musical in that. But there's no Christmas films. We've tried, we've started last year trying Christmas films. I like After Christmas, that's quite good. I've never really been into Home Alone or that. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just not into it. Quite like Shrek, but it's no, it's no Christmas either. But you watch it at Christmas. Well, this is where one of my favourite Christmas films that my wife tells me is not a Christmas film comes into things. Oh. Toy Story. Oh, that's a Christmas film. Right? 
Toy Story, she says there's no Christmas in Toy Story. It's not a Christmas film. The last scene is set at Christmas. Uh... It ends on Jingle Bells. Toy Story is one of my favourite films ever. And is I it watch not about, it. Is it not about presents you get? Yeah, it's his birthday, though. It, it's uh... Andy's birthday at the start. But it, it goes round, and at the very end, the, the scene's happening again where Woody's like, what's coming in? Whoa, what's that? The, the We Army men are like, oh, it's this. And it ends on the fact Mr. Potato Head gets his Mrs. Potato Head. That's just brilliant. It's Christmas. I think any animated movie is a Christmas film, though, because that's when they would come out, and you would go to the cinema with your mum and dad. That was the only... Or your gran and papa, as I would. That's what they would take you to see. They would take you to see whatever animated film was out, and it didn't need to be Christmas. And Toy no. Story was one that was out at Christmas, I'm sure. It was. 1995, 1994, something like that. It doesn't know nothing. Do you know what I'll tell you, though? When I put my Christmas tree up there a week there, we thought, right, going to put a Christmas movie on. Oh, Christmas at the castle. That looks Scottish. Let's put it on. If you're Scottish and you want to be offended, watch it. If you are not Scottish and you want to learn about Scotland, don't watch it. It is every stereotype imaginable. The pe- I mean, the lead guy who's speaking Scottish is American. Of course. It's about an American woman coming over and living in a Scottish castle. Dun Dunbar or something it's called. <clears throat> is there a character called Hamish? Yes. Of course there is. Um, do they drink whiskey? Yeah, all the time. Of course, of course they do. Tartan dresses, tartan suits. Has got kilts. Oh, aye. Of course they do. Formal, formal evening wear. Um, is there a Mick? So like Mick Tavish or oh, yes. Mick Callum or Mick? Of course there is. Yeah, but one that probably doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stupid Scottish name like Mick, Mick Math or something. <laughs> Weird, honestly, Scott. And do you know what happened? I ended up watching it to the end. I said, "This is oh, rubbish. No. I hate it." And I ended up glued to it. I'm actually really upset for myself. It's like that scene in Clockwork Orange where he's forced to watch everything he hates, all the violence you're watching. Yeah, that yeah. film is basically everything I hate about what people think of us. <laughs> and I watched it. Oh, two years yet. Netflix next year. Christmas at the Castle too. <laughs> uh, yeah, my favourite song though. Um, you know I like wartime. Jonah Louis, Stop the Cavalry. Never heard of that in my life. Oh, come on. Nah. Hey, Mr. Churchill comes over here saying we're doing splendidly. And it's very cold out here in the snow, watching to and from the enemy. And it's very tough. I have had enough. Can you stop the cavalry? I love a holly jolly Christmas. This is the thing. Alison is all in for Christmas music. Elton John, she's got it. Shaking Stevens, Paul McCartney, she's got them all. However, I go and find those depressing, like, acoustic covers of, like, Weezer have done a few Christmas songs. And I like those because they just take them and make them a bit more miserable. That's right on my street. Yeah, we're a pair of Scrooges, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like the Halloween episode. Oh, we don't like horror. Welcome to Christmas. We don't like Christmas. <laughs> right. But what we do like is books. Love a book. And we just spoke about Christmas movies and what constitutes a Christmas movie. What constitutes a Christmas book? Well, I'd love to pretend that I am like the oracle 
on Christmas books. However, I'm not. No, me neither. Um, when it comes to kids' Christmas books, it's kind of obvious. They've got to feature the big guy with the white beard, the red suit. Um, but when we get to these more adult books, I don't know. I think all Christmas books have to have a holly jolly ending of some sort. What do you think? No, come on. We can't have a Christmas book that ends badly. Right. Well, I wasn't even going to speak about the actual book yet, right? But I'm going to tell you about a book that I read by Stuart McBride. Now, you're a crime fan. Yeah. You, have you read any Stuart McBride? No, he's on my shelf, though. I've got a couple of books. Right. Well, this is the first book I've read by Stuart McBride, but I thought I'm in a crime funk. It was just a wee tiny one, and you like crime, and it's 12 Days of Winter by Stuart McBride, right? And I thought, I'll just pick it up, dead short. 12, it's 12 Days, 12 Stories. Meet fat Billy Partridge, possibly the worst cat burglar ever, newbie drug dealer Brian, who probably shouldn't be taking advantage of the job's fringe benefits. Philippe, a chef with anger management issues and lots of very sharp knives. Mr Unwin, the undertaker with the golden touch. And Lord Peter Forsyth Levin, MSP, learning the hard way that having it all means that you've got so much more to lose. Thieves, drug dealers, lap dancers, gangsters, and even the odd good guy populate these 12 interlinked tales of crime and retribution set around the festive season. Nothing Doesn't says it? Christmas like drugs and lap dancers. <laughs> and paedophilia, by the way. Mm. There's absolutely no happy ending at all in any of these stories. But they are set around about Christmas and sometimes on Christmas. But again, it's the crime thing going into the deep, dark underbelly. And did I enjoy it? Yes. Does it constitute a Christmas book? Yes. But does it have a happy ending? No, it doesn't. So, so are we saying then, on the thought of that, that it needs to be set at Christmas time? Obviously, as a... I think it needs to be set in the winter period, doesn't it? Yeah. It needs to be snowy. There needs to be a, a kind of... Not even snowy. It just needs to be wet and like cold, and, doesn't it? Yeah, to that point, there needs to be that. Like, I think, I'm thinking about books that I've enjoyed that are Christmassy, and it's all about, like, magic and something a bit supernaturally and something that only happens at Christmas. Um, Absolutely and- nothing magical about this book, unless <laughs> you can, uh, I think it's Sexy Sandra, who's on the phone talking to people about sex. Well, this is actually quite a nice tangent. <clears throat> not sexy Sandra. Um, <laughs> sexy Sandra? You've, <laughs> I could be, um, that you've read a short story collection. So it'd be quite nice to actually compare these two. So you've got Stuart McBride, um, King of Crime. I've got the Queen of Crime. I've got oh, Val McDermott. Poor Val. And I have just finished Christmas's Murder, which is again a series of short stories. Um, and I'll, I'll hit you with a blurb again. So. From an irresponsible baron whose body is discovered beneath the silver birch tree to an author who is haunted by the spiteful presence of jealous writing partner, the characters McDermott conjures are enigmatic and dangerous and never above suspicion. Follow Tony Hill and Carol Jordan as they track a deadly killer who is preparing to strike on Christmas Day and lose yourself in a festive exclusive. 
a recently unearthed case for a classic detective duo set as the lights are going out across Europe. This book is all I needed from a Christmas book. Um, so the detective duo, I'm going to throw spoiler alert. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes and Watson oh, wow. make an appearance in this book. Val writes a short story about them trying to find the King of Scotland. Um, and they have to travel around Europe to find them, and it is just great. Now, some of these stories are set in Christmas. Some of these stories are not. Like, we've got one about bonfire night. Um, it's still cool, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I just think that when you've got a short story collection, as long as you've kind of got a few bits of it, um, like there's a story in there where there's a wee girl who doesn't believe Santa's real anymore. Oh. Um, and so she's like you actually she's setting a trap for him um, and when he eventually comes he she knocks him down the stairs <clears throat> uh, she thinks she's killed Santa I won't tell you how it ends but <sighs> poor wee girl <laughs> and are those stories happier or do some of them end with a bad ending no. as well right. no they're not happy ending stories and I think that's part of the magic of this book is yeah. that it went against everything that I thought a Christmas book should be. Because I'm used to A Christmas Carol, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Christmasaurus. I'm used to these happy ending, whoop, whoop, whoop books. Mm -hmm. And then I read Val McDermott and I think, whoa, totally not. Well, this is the thing with Stuart McBride. I went into it thinking, yeah, obviously it's going to be, it's a crime book, so it's going to have crimes in it and stuff. And it's not going to be this wishy-washy book, which is good. But I thought it would be a bit more subtle. Do you know, like a cosy crime? When you think of Christmas and you think of crime, you do think of cosy crimes. Yeah. Which I'm assuming Val's is maybe a bit more cosy. There is cosy in here, but there is also being burned in a fire. All right, maybe not. So, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this one, this one's like, obviously, drugs and, like, hunting people to death and, like, paedophilia is quite big in it, sexism's quite big in it. Your usual, like, do you know, like, your, what we spoke about in crime time? Those tropes. Uh -huh. yeah. And it was quite... But, it made me very uncomfortable, the book. But it was good. But I was also like, it's Christmas time, though. Yeah. Do I want that? There are moments like that in the Val McDermott book as well, where you're, you're reading a story and you think, oh, this isn't the uh, fireside read that I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I loved it. Yeah, I'm the same. And, you know, when I first started it, I thought, oh, no, this has got all the things that I don't like about a crime book but it also took me back to our conversation with Colin Burnett which wasn't a crime book where he says aye but I wanted to make it stand out I wanted everybody to talk about it and I actually think this book apart from maybe one story where I just was not comfortable with it at all it is it's saying right it's Christmas time but these are things that still happen this is the reality for some people at Christmas there's still crimes there's still crooks out there totally so are you a seasonal reader? Would you usually read Christmas books or do you just read what the mood takes you? Last year was the first year that I really tried to read Christmassy books in December. Um, so I went online and bought myself this huge pile and I think I got through two of them. Um, because it, they're just, they weren't the books I like. They weren't enjoyable. They were, um, for me, I mean... 
do you know the thing is, see, because you read a lot of nice books anyway, because a lot of like young people's books that you'll read at school are nice. They've always got a nice ending. You don't want to be reading that at Christmas again, surely. No, it would seem a bit worky for me. And, and actually, it's quite a nice thing for me to read a couple of kids' books about this time. Um, so I, I have, and it's so that I can then let the kids in my class have a seasonal read. Um, and I don't want to just go for the tried and tested and read it every year, um, especially because I've got primary sevens. Mm. Um, they're a bit different to other kids in a primary school. So it's nice to give them a variety, a bit of choice. And the best way to do that is for me to read them all first and tell them about them. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I don't feel the need to sit down and read all of these holly jolly Christmas books. I've got them. And actually, at the end of the podcast, I'll tell you the few that I'm hoping to still get through. Um, but you might also see a bit of a theme going on with the books that I've chosen um, <laughs> that might be a bit more in my wheelhouse um, mm. rather than... So they fit the bill, but they've got a Christmas theme. Uh, what about yourself? Do you do you plan for a Christmas read? Um, this is my first year, like I said before. This is the first year that I've actually proper went into Christmas books, um, and I'm trying really hard. But I actually think I'm off. This is the first time I'm ever off. Like, you know, I don't get the summer holidays you get, or, like, you know, any of that sort of stuff. I don't get that. So this is my two weeks I'm off at Christmas is the longest I'm ever off. And I just want to get into something that's a bit more serious when my yeah. brains get time to do it, when I'm a bit more switched off. Well, this would have been about the time of year that you read Shuggy Bane last year. This was the exact time that I read Shuggy Bane last year. Well, maybe just just before Christmas. Yeah. Um, and actually, I amended myself in the book. You're right, I did a totally immense myself in it and I think that's why I loved it so much because I wasn't rushing it I wasn't just oh right we've finished work I'm absolutely drained but I need to read another chapter I was just taking my time and just really loving it um and obviously I get books for my birthday as well and usually when I get books for my birthday they're not Christmas books they're books that my wife knows that I've been really really wanting so it's Christmas is the time to actually go yes I get to read these books yeah. and just chill out um, and it's pure beautiful but I mean, I did try um, a wee kind of children's book this year. My first one this year. I don't read a lot of children's books. In fact, I read none, really. Um, except for maybe the ones, some of the ones that you recommend that I think, oh, that sounds good, or like roll down stuff. But yeah. that's because that's my childhood. And it's, which you probably, I don't know if you've read it. Have you read A Boy Called Christmas? Yes. Right. Well, um, I read A Laddie Called Christmas. Ah, okay. So it's by Matt Haig, A Boy Called Christmas, but it's been translated by Matthew Fitt, who is the author of Button Ben A Go Go that Anne Donovan actually told us about. Um, and the back says, you're about to read the right story of Father Christmas. If you're one of the folk that believe that some things are impossible, you should pick this book down now, for this book is hoaching we impossible things. Are you reading? Good. Then let's get started. Um, and it's quite like the story itself is cutesy it's it's really really good this kind of I've been really really busy at work before the Christmas holidays and it was a good one to read you know while you're really really busy and you're you know your work's gone mental because you then you've got two weeks off you need to blow and get everything done yeah um so it was a nice wee read I did enjoy it but again I don't have kids yet or anything 
will I read this again with my child? Yeah, I will. And will I enjoy it better then? Probably. Um, but it was just lacking the depth and seriousness for me. But as a children's book, it was fantastic, if that makes sense. This is the thing. You always have to go into these middle grade or, or lower books with a different mindset to the way you would go in to one of our books that we, we tend to choose and read. Um, and sometimes there's a book that comes along that's a children's book that would stand up against any of these big adult books um <clears throat> ones that are coming to my head like recently i read cardboard cowboys yeah it's up there um wonder it's up there uh there's books that i just go to naturally and they have the adult themes that i'm looking for but told in a bit more of a childish way um and i think boy called christmas laddie called, called christmas it doesn't yeah, it does. It's, it's, it's a about happy hope, isn't it? And it's about yeah. your usual Christmas stuff. It's about hope and forgiveness and love and all that. Um, but I do read a lot of young adult, and you've you've gifted me from above to you got me cardboard cowboys because you know I like it. Um, I like ones that have got a wee theme in them. You know, I like um, we spoke about them before, Daisy and the Outline. You know, the 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 author of that book. I like his yeah, work. Ross Sayers. Ross Sayers. I like his work and stuff as well. But it's just, I think it's just because it's Christmas. It just, it's too wishy-washy for me, I think. If yeah. that makes sense. There is that. However, a book I'd like to talk about that is one that just kind of pops up around this time of year um, and is a children's book, The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe. Yes. <clears throat> now, I had not read The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe until last year um, because I tended to dodge classics. Um, and I read it for the first time with my class. The kids hated it, generally. A few did enjoy it and things, um, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was just full of magic and wonder and all of these, we've said already, like, we've got these family ties, we've got these emotional ties, we've got these overarching themes that are coming in. We've, it's quite biblical. Yeah. Um, in, in the whole way that it goes um, so it is something a bit different and it's one of those Christmas reads I think as well that isn't holly jolly Santa ho 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 elves presents it's winter it's cold we've got this ice queen who's who's dominating Narnia um, and then we've got this hope that comes in in Aslan and it just we get these characters, we've got Mr. Tumnus, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. We've got these characters that we really like and we get along with the whole way through. Um, but still having that feeling of a wintry Christmas snuggle up, make you feel good read. Well, I think that's the thing because if I'm, I was going to compare the two, I've not read it, but I know it. My, my sister was a tree or something in a play when I was younger. We've seen it, and I've obviously I know the story of a lion, which is wardrobe, and I probably read it when I was a child. You know, you read these things at school and stuff, but I don't really remember it. But I know what the story is, and it's more of a different world fantasy type thing. Yeah, a laddie, a boy called Christmas, but a laddie called Christmas, the one I read, it is kind of like that, but it doesn't go far enough for me. I think that's the problem. Yeah. Um, and it's actually a good time to bring in one of the other Christmas books that I was going to speak about, and that's the Christmasaurus. Um, you know my feelings on celebrity authors. 
-hmm. And Tom Fletcher is a celebrity author. He's a musician with McFly. He's a beautiful Which is lovely. He's beautiful. But an author that I don't have a lot of time for. Mm. Um, And in the Christmasaurus, he's created a world that I think young children, so I'm talking middle primary school, just get immersed into. Um, So if I've got my child head on and I read that book, it's brilliant. It's Mm -hmm. candy canes and it's Santa Claus and it's the funny elves that speak in rhyme and it's everything you want from a wee Christmas book for kids. Um, But as an adult reading children's books, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, I've read the two subsequent Tom Fletcher books as well. And he world builds and they get bigger and the adventures get more magical and mythical. But it's still not for me. Do you think as well a lot of these books, like obviously Matt Haig is a writer anyway, right? So he knows how to write. And actually I think now I think about the, the book that we read together, The Midnight Library, it is kind of read and like it is written in the same sort of thing. But my problem with the Midnight Library, and I know everybody loves it, my problem with it was it was kind of simply written as well. There was no depth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. And I know it had this big, deep and meaningful if you went and searched for it thing and it, like it felt your heart with love and stuff and it did, but it didn't give me like if I was to and what I did was I compared Midnight Library to Eleanor Oliphant. And Eleanor Oliphant was more believable, hands down, was so yeah. much better. And they're kind of about the same sort of thing, aren't they? 100%. Um, so I, I just think, do you think these celebrity authors and the likes of Matt Haig and stuff, they just know the boxes to tick to get children to read them? Because if you strip it away, they're kind of about the exact same thing. Yeah. And I, and I think you've kind of said the thing that I always need to remind myself of when I think of these celebrity authors are they going to put a book in a kid's hand yes and that's so are they the gateway drug almost to get into the books that i respect a little bit more or the authors i give a bit more time to hopefully Mm -hmm. but then we as well like like can you follow on for that we read rodal and i would read rodal right now and love it but if our parents or our grandparents had read Roald Dahl and had never read a Roald Dahl, would they be saying the same thing as we're saying about Roald Dahl? Probably. Exactly. Probably. Um, so, hey, as long as it gets them reading, like you say. Let's take our conversation to tomorrow, um, where we're sitting around the big Christmas dinner table. You're playing hostess with a hostess. Amy's sweating in the kitchen, cursing the one oven that you've got. Um what do you th- what appears on your plate at Christmas time that doesn't come out at any other point of the year? What do you look forward to on Christmas Day? Oh, well, it's got to be pigs and blankets, doesn't it? And stuffing. Do you know what I mean? Every single year, that's what you want. And I'm not a big, I like turkey and I like like all the meats and stuff. But I'm a bit of a child when it comes to Christmas dinner. I want the roast tatties. I want the wee willy winkies. Obviously, the pigs and blankets. I want the cranberry sauce, I want the stuffing, and that is my dinner. And I'll have a wee bit of this and a wee bit of that, but that's my main thing. Um, I think this year, I can't even remember, because it was me that ordered the dinner, and Amy kept saying, no, that's too much, you've bought too much. I have literally ordered everything and for the shop, everything. It's Christmas. Exactly. And leftovers, mate, we'll be in the This is the now. thing. You can be eating those right up to the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was traditional Christmas dinner 
until I met Alison. Hmm. And the first Christmas that I spent up north at her house in Peterhead, her mum is like a culinary Christmas wizard. You name it, it's on that table. To the point where there was the first time that I sat at the table and she was like whipping out chips, onion rings. Maybe. Things like this. And it's just because everyone at the table has different things that they think make a Christmas dinner. And she doesn't want to disappoint anyone on Christmas. She's Monica. Exactly. That's what it is. And I have never seen so many potatoes on a table that have been cooked in such a variety of ways. Mashed, we've got it. Roast, here they are. Boiled, over there. Got yourself a chip? There it is. Dauphinois. I don't even know what they are, but they're probably there. Right? It's croquettes. Here they go. Christine makes everything. And that was the thing. When I went up for that first year, Alison had to ask me, what makes a Christmas dinner? I like that. And it was, I'd said the answer you do. Oh, pigs and blankets. And I like the veg. I love a Brussels sprout. Oh, Controversial. Amy, Amy won't buy them because she eats half of one and then decides that's enough. And <laughs> I don't understand the half of one. Just yeah. them, it's just to try it, isn't it? See yeah. if your palate's changed. Um, <laughs> but my thing was Christmas pudding. I love a Christmas pudding. I have it at no other time of the year. Alison's mum loves Christmas pudding and could never have it because no one else liked it. My mum makes Christmas puddings and it takes her four months to make them. And she just keeps dousing them with brandy. They're in, um, they'll be ready now, obviously. But the last time I was down, she just got them out and was like, smell them. It was boofing. Just yes. like two bottles of brandy, just in about it. Can't, they're brilliant. There's something that you get from a Christmas pudding that you don't get from any other dessert, any other time of the year. So it's main course, great, but pudding. Mm, there's a boy. Well, usually, I mean, we don't really celebrate Christmas, me and Amy. We just have it just as two of us. <clears throat> Amy works Amy works for a meat in, in the meat industry, so she works constantly in December. So Christmas Day and Boxing Day, her day off. And we usually just sit in front of the TV and watch films and drink cocktails. And we have for our dinner, cheese and charcuterie board. So we do. That's what we have every single year. Patty and, you know, all your different meats, all your different cheeses and that. That's our Christmas dinner. And do you know what? I've liked it better than every single Christmas dinner I've ever had in my whole life. This is the thing. You need to have something easy at Christmas. And if you've got something like that, it's a pull it out of the fridge, Gobble on that. Ooh. Yeah. We we started a new tradition last year where Christmas Eve was a takeaway night. Because mm -hmm. I didn't want any dishes on Christmas Eve. And I didn't want to wake up to dirty dishes either. So takeaways. Right, right. So that's, that's a good idea. That's my Baldi this year while I'm peeling my ties. Exactly. And while you're sitting around the table, you get your Christmas crackers. Are you ready for some Christmas cracker jokes? Go for it, Dad. <clears throat> right, I've got a few for you. We can cut some out in the edit. What do angry mice send to each other at Christmas? Oh, I don't know. Cross mouse cards. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Next. What do you get if you cross Santa Claus with a duck? Oh, I don't know. Christmas quacker. Oh, <laughs> Okay, you didn't like that one. That one's no. fake. 
What's the best Christmas present in the world? Me. A broken drum. You just can't beat it. Oh! Who's Santa's favourite singer? Celine Dion. funnier than the answer I've got I'll skip it we've just spoke about feasts do you fancy going and talking about a wee classic yes let's feast or in upon it it is a Christmas carol by Charles Dickens the most classic of classics now I don't know where you first heard of a Christmas carol me it was probably a Muppets Christmas carol when I think, actually, when we were talking about films earlier, I forgot about that film. It's actually quite good. And it's actually one of my wife's favourites. Um, that's all right. Yeah. Um, but this year, I decided, you know what? I'm finally going to read the book. Now, you've read it before. I've read it before. And what is your thoughts on A Christmas Carol, Scott? I think it's another one of those wholesome, feel-good Christmas stories. But told in a way that is a little bit different um i do enjoy it um but i've said before classics especially of the era of dickens and things are not really something i'd go for so as a familiar story that i know and i enjoy through things like muppets christmas carol um and things like that. And even just, I've been to see like stage productions and things yeah. of, of A Christmas Carol before as well. So the story was already ingrained in my head. So when it came to reading it, it wasn't hard labor because I knew what was coming. Um, and I love the idea of a, a Fezziwig's party and stuff. I think I'd love to be at that. Mm -hmm. And so I liked visiting those kind of characters. But overall, writing style and things is just not my, my thing. No. What about yourself? What what was a Christmas Carol for you? Well, I'm the same. Look, as a Christmas Carol was actually through quite a lot of your literature and quite a lot of your media. See, even Duck Feet. Duck Feet's got a Christmas Carol moment. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. Um, which is actually so, so bizarre and so interesting right in the middle of the book. But what? Um, but I'm the same. A Christmas Carol, if I hadn't known the story, I would have been reading this going, I don't know what's going on. Like, really don't have a clue. Um, just because it's written in those ye olde and you, I did this and blue, 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 and it just doesn't make any sense. You actually have to put the book down a couple of times and Google the word to see what it means because it's a word that we don't use anymore. But I did find something quite interesting in it, right? Tell me more. My thought is A Christmas Carol is actually a queer love story. I can see why you've come to this conclusion <clears throat> tell me why you think it's a queer love story and i'll chip in okay so it starts off on christmas eve right scrooge hates christmas and isn't feeling in the spirit right and he keeps saying bah humbug and all that you know his nephew comes to see him oh why are you not celebrating christmas uncle come and celebrate with me he's like bah humbug boo boo hum bah humbug and then it happens to mention his business partner, Marley, right? But then it mentions that his business partner, Marley, died seven years ago to the day on Christmas Eve, right? So straight away, I was like, oh, maybe he's actually heartbroken over Marley. 
so heartbroken that he hasn't celebrated Christmas since. And maybe he's always pretended when Marley was alive that he didn't like Christmas because him and Marley spent Christmas together, right? Ah. When he goes back to his house after he's had all these discussions, he's shut up shop and he's bah humbugging and all that and folk are trying to talk to him in the street. He goes in, he looks at the door knocker, he sees Marley's face. He goes in his room, all he sees is Marley's face and talking to him and there's bits where he, he talks to him and tells him he misses him and all that, right? I'm like, this is a guy who is absolutely heartbroken. Um, then goes to the Christmas part, past comes and takes him back to his childhood, right? He doesn't fit in with other boys and he's left out, right? Always left out. Now, that is every single memoir you read from a gay man. They always yep. look back in time and they never fit it in. You think of Damien Barr's Maggie and Me. He was bullied at school and he was called to be poof and all that and nobody wanted to hang about with him and stuff. So that's exactly what I think happened. Then it goes forward a wee bit and it looks at Scrooge sitting beside this woman and she's crying and he's crying. She was, he was due to marry her and she calls off the engagement. And I think, because she knew he was gay, either all along or she caught him in the act, one of the two, and decided that she didn't want that for herself. She didn't want to live a life of a lie. Now, I'm going to read you a wee quote on a part that tells you that that is exactly what happened. Your own feeling tells you that you are not what you are. She returned, I am. That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly I have thought of this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it and I can release you, Scrooge says. Have I ever sought release, she says. In words, no, never. He says, in what then? And she says, in a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in another atmosphere of life, another hope at its great end and everything that had made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been between us, said the girl, looking mildly but with steadiness upon him, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? Ah, no. So that's her saying, if you could be your true, authentic self, and you had me in front of you, and you had the choice to marry me, would you marry me? I say no, you would not marry me. Why? Because... You are queer, Scrooge. So there you have it. The real story of Scrooge and Marley. We misunderstood pets. Yes. And <clears throat> when you mentioned it being a queer book, the first thing I went to was oh, Scrooge and Marley. And I just thought you were going to talk about the longing of Scrooge to his old partner, who he obviously worked closely with and spoke to all day, every day, and they ran a business together. But you're right. I've went in. I didn't think about the childhood thing and how that relates to a lot of people's story of finding themselves and being able to be who they are and having to go through this moment or this period where things don't fit and don't feel right. Um, and then There's loads of it. There's even bits with his sister, he's sitting with his sister and his sister's telling him like that she doesn't understand him and stuff. And you know, like that he should try a wee bit harder to 
like be like he's what his dad wants him to be and stuff. And then there's another bit like that party you mentioned, right? That party you mentioned, and it's all there's this bit, and I get dead confused. It's obviously them dancing, right? But it's like, oh, such and such brings this guy, and she brings this person, and he's hiding behind this one. And I'm like, this is actually a gay club. Yeah, a wee, a wee party. Uh-huh. This is like what you would find in Berlin and all that at that time, because Berlin was a gay capital of the world at one point before the war. That is what you would have found, underground gay clubs. And do you know what? You put one of these scenes into a classic, like, queer book, like I'm, I'm immediately drawn to things like the Heartstoppers books. Yeah. You put these scenes in there. They're not weird. No. Like they fit the the narrative of those books, don't they? Yep. I'm telling you, Scott. My first novel, debut novel, from Nat McMath, A Christmas Carol Retold. Watch this space. Some things go on a little bit of a break during the Christmas period. But one thing that doesn't is my passion for doing things in 60 seconds or less. Oh, what like opening a present, 60 seconds or less. Boom. Drinking a pint, 60 seconds or less. Boom. Eating a Christmas dinner, 60 seconds or less. See your tummy. So, that brings us on to a special Christmas edition of Done in 60 Seconds. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to be terrible at this. So I am, now this is a really tenuous, these are normally a, a Scottish link or there's something Scottish. The first clue of this is Scottish. And then you can forget the whole thing. <laughs> I was... And this was totally by mistake because I was running through it with my wife earlier and uh, I said, oh, let's see if you can get my done in 60 seconds this week. And I went through it all and she went, that's, that's not Scottish. Is this not supposed to be Scottish? I said, oh, fuck. <laughs> so <laughs> I then thought, oh, uh, that, that clue, that's Scottish. So you'll see when I say it. Cool. 60 seconds. Um, let's get my timer out. I should have been doing that while I was telling that nice story. So, 60 seconds. Your time starts now. James McAvoy. Three bits of sticky tape. 23rd of November 2011. A child has been missed. 23 Mimosa Avenue, Trelew, Cornwall, England. Hugh Laurie. Bill Nye. Gwen. Some singing slippers. Gift 47785BXK. VS1. Santa's replacement. Animated movie. After Christmas. Oh, I'm going to give you that. Is it after Christmas? Just yes. So my favorite Christmas movie, and I couldn't even guess. I just thought I had to do something 
a little bit different to try and throw you off the scent. So what's, the, who, does, who does James McAvoy play in After Christmas? Arthur. Does he? Yeah. I did not know that. I like yeah. it now. Makes sense. Makes sense why it's my favourite Christmas exactly. movie. Exactly, it's Scottish. <laughs> Arthur Christmas is a Scottish movie. <laughs> Yay! More than Christmas in the castle. Yeah. And actually, is that not like old man Santa? Like the old man Santa? Does he not like wear a kilt and like he's all Scottish and stuff? Aye, you might be right. I think he is. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe he is. Let's After Christmas. Yes. Scottish Love movie. That. Great. Best Scottish Christmas film going. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, Natalie, it's getting late. It's bedtime. We need to go and see Santa. Santa's going to be making his rounds soon, and we need to be fast asleep because he knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So stop singing for goodness sake. Hey! <laughs> <clears throat> so you've just mentioned you've now got a fortnight off Christmas time what are you going to be reading? Well I'm going to try another couple of Christmas reads right so I've got another two stories by Charles Dickens uh, and a book I got for the library and now I have a library card Library. the Christmas stories by Charles Dickens so I'll try them but again they're going to be hard for me to read Scott but I'll give them a go I've also got a book by Celia Hearn, which is called The Gift. It's got snowflakes in front of it. I don't read the blurb. So we'll try that as well. I think that'll be maybe good in between a sunset song, read along. It might just be an easy reread is what I'm yeah, thinking. something like. But I'm going back to my usual reading. I'm not doing it anymore. So we've got your, your book club. We're reading Anxious People, Frederick Batman, one of my favourite authors. So can't wait to get in about that. Then I'm going back to my Scottish roots and I'm going to get all depressed again. And I cannot wait. Start off the year right. So I'm going back in. I'm going to go to Luckenbooth and Young Mungo because we, Scott, were given an arc of Young Mungo to read. Thank you so much to the publisher. We are so, so excited. Um, so I can't leave it any longer, Scott. Christmas holidays, like you said, last year I read Shuggy Bean. This year I'm going to deep dive right into Young Mungo and enjoy every single page of it. What about you? Well, so that I am a prepared host of my own book club, I am going to read Anxious People um, by Frederick Bachman, my first of his novels. <gasps> I've got two of them sitting on my shelf. I've already arranged to read Beaver Town um, in the new year. Bear Town. Beaver Town is a different thing. That's where oh. I go on a Saturday night. <laughs> or less. Um, so <clears throat> I've already got on my shelf Bear Town and a man called Ove or Uve or Ove or whatever you want to call it. If you're Scottish, him. you say Ove. Ove is what I would have thought. Um, so I'm going to read Anxious People. Um, and then I've also got three more Christmas books. More up my junction, though. I've got The Christmas Train, which is all about trying to get home for Christmas. But there's something going wrong on the train. Ooh. I've got The Christmas Killer, 
this one is interesting to me. Speaks for itself. Yeah. And I've got some Agatha Christie's, some midwinter murders. I was gifted this last Christmas by my sister-in-law. And unfortunately, because I got it on Christmas, I felt like I couldn't read it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I knew it would be on my December pile. And that is where I think I'm going to go next with my reading before I jump right back in to good old Scottish literature again and I get to visit Luckenbooth in Edinburgh and Young Mungo in Glasgow. I am so excited to read both of them. One of them has been on my pile for so long that I'm so excited we're getting thrown to it finally. And the other one, we have recently been gifted and I stare at it every time I'm thinking, right, what should I read? Yeah. Because I just want to get into it. And and those cover reveals recently um, oh. for the American cover and then the UK cover. Oh, that's How amazing. bold and brave is that of a publisher, an author, um, and all this. I just, it's blown my mind that this book is going to be front and centre of so many shop windows come April. I know. And, and on the bus, there's going to be so many people reading it in front of people that would never want to see two men kissing. Honestly, I'm so amazed and so proud of Douglas for obviously he never chose it, but he did have a hand in it. Um, and he put, he would have pushed for that, you know, knowing Douglas and knowing the work he does uses his success from Shuggy Bain for not just to get Scottish readers out there, but to get queer um, literature out there and to elevate queer people um, and Scottish people everywhere. He is just amazing. Um, and he's just, he's a Scottish hero, man. Iconic. Yeah. Absolutely iconic now. And I, I don't think you can look at that book cover and argue against it um, for any reason. I'm definitely still getting myself a copy. Me too. Because I, I want mean, that book on my shelf too. I might actually have to buy the US one as well, to be fair, and get it shipped over. Talk about book cover. Book covers. Look how interesting we are now. <laughs> but how cool are they? Oh, oh, oh. Unfortunately, Scott and Natalie have went off to their Betty Buys. And so that leaves me the honour of saying goodbye to all of you listening to the Wee Scottish Book Club this Christmas Day. <laughs> Santa Claus and Scott and Natalie hope you have a wonderful festive period spent with all of your friends and lots of books. <laughs> Make sure you tune in next week for a very special Hogmanay special. <laughs> Until then, though, you can still contact Scott and Natalie with all your questions, comments, and Christmas well wishes on the We Scottish Book Club at gmail.com. You can find Natalie on Instagram. I don't know what that is. I still write letters at Scotty's and books. And you can also find her on Twitter. I thought birds did that. Scotty's mm, books. <laughs> Scott can be found at Scott. You reading. 
<laughs> Until next time, though, I hope you all stay on the nice list. And the only way to do that is by listening to the Wee Scottish Book Club every week, multiple times. Bye, everybody. And I'm going to ask you all one special Christmas question. Are you dancing? We're dancing. <laughs> Good, because I'm asking. <laughs> Merry Christmas to one and all, and to all a merry time. I think we're alone now. Alone now doesn't, doesn't seem, seem to be anyone around. Hey, that's a warm up. It's Christmas Day. I just barked. Name the book. Oh, oh. That's what I was like. You said you don't want to put these in our library. Ah, it's because they're pish. But this one's all right. Now, this is a story all about how my life got flipped turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, little you how became a prince of a town called Bel Air. Scott is shy. Scott is shy. That was nice. <clears throat>